Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I'm joined by this man. Doesn't matter how you score, a goal's a goal. Derek Curry, also known locally as Ye So, or Jesus, for his long hair, beard and goal scoring when he came to Hong Kong as one of the first European professional footballers in 1970. Hong Kong football had turned professional in 1968 and Derek came with fellow professionals Walter Gerrard and Jackie Trainer from Scotland to join the Hong Kong Rangers alongside Kwok Ka Ming. Derek came to Hong Kong because there was the chance to play against the legendary Pele, which he did a number of times. I said, who? He said, Pele. I said, where do I sign? Derek Curry would also play for the Hong Kong League 11, Seiko and Eastern, before becoming the marketing man for Carlsberg and helping to create the Carlsberg Cup and Carlsberg Tens. He's written his memoir, When Jesus Came to Hong Kong, the remarkable story of the first European football star in Asia. And join me for a chat. I was quite fortunate. I came from a working-class family. My dad worked in John Brown shipyards. We built the Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth. He was on the boats. My mum worked in Marks and Spencers. And uh, I was fortunate in that I came from a sporting family. My dad was a good footballer. And my eldest brother, about seven, eight years older than me, was a famous boxer. He won the ABA Championship, two years running, flyweight division. And he won the Commonwealth Gold Medal in Vancouver in 1954. And the other brother was a good player and he had a spell with Glasgow Rangers. So football. Mm-hmm. Football, yes. And uh, so from an early age, Dick was his name, the older one, he would take me to the football games and he was a bit of an icon in those days because boxing was very, very popular in Scotland as was football. So he used to take me to the football games and I used to meet all the the current stars of that time. So it was a big encouragement for me. And naturally, I, I get involved in football myself. And, and, and that was my ambition, to be a professional footballer. But as I got older, my dad said to me, look, son, you need a job behind you. You might get an injury. You break a leg, a bad tackle, and that's your, that's your dream finished. So I, I spent five years as a compositor. Which is? In the printing type, makeup type and that and a poster specialist. It was five wasted years, but as my dad said, you've got to do it. So that was straight after school. So I had had to do it, yeah. Mm. And I left school at 14 and a half or something. I mean, it was a bit different in those days. (laughs) And when you were growing up, I mean, tell me about, first of all, who were your football stars that you looked up to when you were a kid? Football stars, well, obviously Pele, you know, the World Cup and Sweden in 58. He was just different class, 17 years of age. And uh, you've got to remember in those days, not everybody had television, but we were fortunate we had a black and white TV. My dad actually bought it to see his, his oldest son, Dick, in the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver. That's why he bought the TV. But we were fortunate to watch in the 58 World Cup in the black and white TV. And it was just, it was it was incredible. You know, when you think nowadays what you've got with technology back there, there wasn't much. We're lucky to have a TV. So it was obviously Pele and I, and I followed football. And then as I got older, it was uh, I was fortunate to go to a 61 European Cup final in the Al Madrid against Eintracht, considered one of the greatest European Cup finals of all time. This The European Cup preceded what is now the Champions League. And we'd heard a Canario, Del Stoll, De Stefano, Puskas and Hento as a forward line. And De Stefano was my big hero. 
So you, you give up with heroes, you, you, give, you give up with local heroes like Dennis Law, who played for Scotland, Manchester United, Man City, he played with. So, yeah, but it, was, it was lots of heroes, you know. I mean, you got in the member in those days, there was no internet or any computers or anything, so football was your, was your life, and as soon as you finished school, you were down the park kicking the ball about. And what sort of player are you, and were you? I would like to describe myself... <laughs> A bit like modern J Jamie Fardy, who liked to play up front and chase and look for goals and, and run about. I was always fast, I had a lot of pace. I always used to say, letting the midfielders who were clever on the ball, they do their job. It's a team game. Goalkeepers and defence, centre-half, it's got to defend. Midfield's got to defend, but also start attacks. And the forwards have got to finish the job. And that's what I liked doing. I was a prolific goal scorer. I had my ups and downs. My big, my biggest problem in, in Scotland was... You weren't big enough. I wasn't big enough. I was just a bit fight. I was too lightly built. I played games, scored goals. But everybody would say, well, he's, he's a good player. He can score goals. But he's just a bit lightly built. Yeah. If you look at the game nowadays, you'll see all the footballers are big, strong boys. Apart from the little skillful ones who can do something that a bit extra special. So you're saying you were a compositor for five years because your dad wanted to make sure that you had a salary behind you and that uh, football in case you got injuries. But then at, at 21, you're really into footballing. Oh, yeah, I'd finished my apprenticeship. I was, OK, let's take it serious. And then mm. out of the blue, I see this. I was an ad in the newspaper, professional football starting in Hong Kong, uh, looking for players. And I, I wasn't going to go. Somebody mentioned it to me and we went along and... And it was a game of football at the home at Hamilton Academical, Douglas Park. Sorry, it was where? It was in Hamilton. Which is uh, in Scotland, is it? It's Scotland, just outside Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went along this Sunday morning and I played. And they took me off after 10 minutes, scored a goal in my head, believe it or not. Before Walter did, <laughs> he was playing as well. Walter Gerrard. Walter Gerrard, yes. Gerrard. Mm -hmm. uh, who was excellent in the air. He was so good that people used to say about him in later years. If Walter had a pair of boots in his head, he would have been Pelly. <laughs> <laughs> Said in the nicest possible way. But anyway, they took me off and uh, and after the game he said, just, we want to talk to you. And then he asked me to come to Hong Kong and I said, oh, give me time to think about it. I did said, you know where Hong Kong was? I did. I was quite good at geography actually as a kid, you know. I mean, yeah, I knew where Hong Kong was good. I watched all these movies, Love is a Many Splendid Thing with my mum and uh, the world of Susie Wong. So, yeah, I knew a little bit about it, not much. But when he asked me to come, I said, oh, let me think about it. But it was an offer. And then he said to me, look, we think you'll be good enough to get in Hong Kong League and live in. And Santos and Pele are coming to, to Hong Kong. So he's Brazilian. In December. <laughs> I said, Who? He said, Pele. I said, Where do I sign? Absolutely. <laughs> Greatest football in the world. A chance after watching him a few months earlier playing in what I considered to the greatest World Cup of all time, 1970 in Mexico. I said, Where do I sign? Everything went out the window. And I wasn't even worried explaining that to my mum and dad, asking permission. I'd made up my mind I was going to play against Pele. So you come to Hong Kong in 1970? September 10, 1970. They signed two others, uh, Walter Gerrard. And Walter was a seasoned professional. Walter was about 27 at the time. And Jackie had only turned 18. But he had a lot of potential. He was a good midfield player. 
Jackie Trainer, who was a, a young 18-year-old, and the three of us came to Hong Kong, not knowing what to expect. We had no idea in the standard of football, where we were going to stay, whatever. It was just like a, an adventure. Now explain to me the Hong Kong scene, you know, the Hong Kong football scene. Why were they looking for professional players? They did not have any European professional players in Hong Kong. They had local players, maybe a Malaysian, but no full-time European professional players in Hong Kong. But you had Hong Kong Chinese professional players? Yes, because it had just started professional football. But not all the clubs were fully professional. South China and another couple of clubs were still amateur. They did not pay their players professionally. So Hong Kong Rangers, the manager Ian Petrie, the year before his, his team had got relegated along with the Hong Kong Football Club, but the league could be extended from 12 teams to 14 teams. So he set about getting the league extended to 14. There was a lot of people who, who did not want this to happen, and a lot of people did not like Ian Petrie. There was a lot of politics in the game in those days in Hong Kong. Anyway, it ended up it went to court. Petrie was fortunate he won, and they extended the league to 14. So he decided, and Marie, to go back to Scotland and make his team stronger. And he got some backing with a lady called Veronica Chan and her husband. They were landowners in the New Territory, had a few quid, so he got some backing. So that's why he went to strengthen his team so they could be competitive, not knowing if they would or not. So in, in, in essence, we were we were sort of guinea pigs as well. Because mm. if, we su- we if we weren't successful in, in our first season, then maybe there wouldn't have been the influx of the professional footballers we followed. But fortunately, we won the league for him. And we won a cup for him. And we lost in another final and we were successful. And he made a lot of money out of it. And his club blossomed. What was the Hong Kong League 11? The League 11 was a team where local Chinese and maybe if it was a Malaysian like Chow Chi Kern who could play for them, but the national team was people born in Hong Kong. But having said that, some of the League 11 players could play for the national team as well. But I was not eligible because you need to spend seven years. So my first game was against a Swedish team from Stockholm called Jurgården, and I was the only European selected along with Chalchika and Malaysia and nine local Chinese boys. And I had a very good game, scored the equaliser when we were 2-1 down. I made the winner 3-2. And the next day, the Chinese newspaper said, Yeso Dagao Hong Kong, which means <laughs> Jesus saves Hong Kong. And my name was christened. That was me, Jesus. I mean, they could call you a lot worse. I was no, quite happy. No, because you had long hair and a beard. That's right. Well, I'd, I'd, my hair was a little bit long. But it was the 70s. And, and I hadn't. It was the 70s at that time. So that's when I got my name. And then, of course, Pelly came in December. And that was, that was fantastic. And then two months after, I'm playing in Vietnam in 1971 when there's a war on. So I couldn't have believed that actually within four months I've been called Jesus. I played against Pele and I've been in Saigon for six days in a competition during the war. I mean, that, that was quite a transition for you. 
Well, it was. I mean, I, I mean, if somebody asked me to go to a war zone now, mm. I, I know what I would say. But when you're young at that age, you're fearless. You know, you always think it'll happen to somebody else, but mm. nothing will happen to you. When you first start playing in Hong Kong, I mean, describe to me the scene. Ian Petrie was Scottish, but I mean, when you're on the ground, I mean, if you're the only European guy in the team, I mean, when you're doing training, I mean, to a certain extent, it, it's, you're going to be all together and you're all going to be doing the same movements. But I mean, was was the instruction in English? Is it in Cantonese? Did you learn Cantonese pretty fast? No, well, the, Ian Petrie, his captain was Cork Amming, and Cork Amming had, could speak excellent English, and Petrie could speak you know, I would say 70-80% Cantonese. We'd go train at Happy Valley, but it wasn't complicated because what Petrie used to do, he just used to take us to Happy Valley and we used to do lap after lap after lap. So it was all fitness stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, we'd do the ball work. So, you know, it's it's football's an international language. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not the barriers you think there. You don't have to to talk when you're playing football. Your actions are with the ball, so it's easy to pick up. So that, was, that wasn't a big problem. When you were leaving Scotland and you're coming to Hong Kong, what were your musical influences? Oh, it was the 60s. It was the swinging 60s. You know, I mean, we'll keep September 70, but uh, I mean, I liked the Stones, the Beatles, the Searchers, you name that. And then when I came to Hong Kong, that was uh, CCR, Creedence, Clearwater, Revival, some great songs. And then, of course, we got into the, the 80s and you had Journey, uh, Don't Stop Believing. Oh. Great music, you know. I, I like the old music. Did you settle into Hong Kong well? I did because the players we played with made us welcome. But it wasn't, it wasn't easy because, I mean, not like the modern footballers, you know, we didn't have our private aeroplane, we, you know, we didn't stay in deluxe accommodation. I mean, where we, are you when, when you first come Well, we, we stayed when we arrived. We stayed at the Stones Throne in Victoria Park, the Albert Hotel, which is not there anymore. And there was three of us in the one room. <laughs> and then we moved into the Rangers Clubhouse in 24 on Leighton Road. And that was three of us in the one room as well. And then eventually we managed to get out and stay in Cosway Bay. But it was like four of us and it wasn't, accommodation wasn't great. So it took, it took a few years before I eventually managed to get a flat in, in Tinhau Temple Road and shared it with the two other people. No, I think still people in Hong Kong are very passionate about football. But would you have said in the early 1970s it was on a whole different scale? It was, but they are still passionate. I mean, we played that first game at Boundary Street and there must have been about 12,000 at the game, full, they were on the hillside and topping the rooftops and on the ground. And it was just, you know, it encouraged you to play football because the atmosphere was just electric. And then you went to the Hong Kong Stadium and... 28,000 people you're playing full house so 
that encouraged you to play well because of the atmosphere. Tell me about a couple of those early matches. Yeah, well, we won the first game 4-1 against Happy Valley and then we went and played against South China. It was a big acid test for us and we beat them 3-1, which was good because after one minute uh, we got a penalty kick and I had to take it in front of 28,000 people. <laughs> but I was trained to take penalty kicks, so it wasn't a problem when I scored. But a good thing afterwards was Walter and Jackie also scored. So the three of us playing against South China, who were one of the leading clubs at that time, was a big bonus and a good encouragement. And the Chinese boys made us feel welcome. But the big game would be against Jardines. They were considered uh, the Al Madrid of local football. And uh, and we actually we beat them fairly convincingly. So, And then we were accepted by the Hong Kong fans, although maybe not with some of the defenders, because they thought there was only one way to stop us, and that was with some, some bad tackles. Walter used to suffer a bit because he was very good in the air, but as I said, he wasn't blessed with speed. He used to take a lot of terrible knocks. But I was fortunate because I was fast, so I could see them coming and I managed to get mm. avoid them. But it, it was difficult, but uh, these are the things you've got to put up with when you're the new kids in town. I mean, I know there was a couple of Thai boys who came the year before and they didn't like the tackling mm. and he only stayed for about one game. So it's a bit rough. It was a bit enough, yeah. Then and that's back, you yeah. talking coming out of Scotland? Yes, I know, but this is on the soccer field, <laughs> not in the bars. <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing both with the Hong Kong League 11 and also Hong Kong Rangers? No, I was playing with Hong Kong Rangers and the Hong Kong League 11 just had representative games when foreign teams came to Hong Kong. And I spent two years with Hong Kong Rangers and then a team called Seiko came to the first division. They'd come through in the third, second division. And Seiko were formed by two brothers called Wong Chong San and Wong Chong Po. And they made the watch bands and were the agents for Seiko. And they were given, I don't know how much it was, call it a million Hong Kong dollars for advertising, but they were quite smart. Instead of using it on TV, they got a football team and they get much, much more mileage because Seiko would go on and become one of the best teams in Hong Kong. And after two years, I was fortunate. I was one of the first signings and I joined Seiko. And he also signed a guy called Wukok Kong who was considered to be, in later years, one of the best local players of all time in Hong Kong football. You've already described to me taking a penalty with in front of 28,000 people when you only just arrived. And it, and it must have been amazing to be this young person in this new city. Very humid, I'd have thought, for some of your training. But at the same time, you're starting to get recognised and, and you're having fun, but also very serious about your football. And um, can you describe to me a couple of special moments in the in the early part of your career? There was one one in particular when Hamburg... The German side came and they had a very good team. And it was a full house at the stadium and we were drawing nil-nil half-time. And about four minutes in the second half, Chung Chi Doi sent a ball into the box and I went for it. And there was about three defenders around me and I, and I managed to get the ball and I hit it and the goalkeeper parried it. And I, was, I had sort of been brushed to the ground. And I've got a picture even to this day and I don't know how I got up, but I managed to get up like a toy soldier in a spring and I blasted the ball into the top of the net and we ended up, we won the game 1-0 and the fans were delighted but I never really got it must have been about two, three weeks later when I realised to the extent of the victory and what it meant to the Hong Kong people 
I was out in Sheko and we'd been training one day in the sand and we came back to one of the little Dai Pai Dong restaurants in Sheko and we were drinking the Chinese tea and uh, eating some dumplings and and he and Peter, we started talking to this old Chinese chap. He looked very, very old, weather-beaten. And he kept pointing at me. And Peter, he said to me, do you know what he's just told me? I said, no, what? He said, when you played against Hamburg, the whole village was watching. The game was on live. When you scored the goal, everybody got and cheered. When the final whistle went, everybody got drunk. <laughs> and I shook hands with him. And I was so happy. And then that made me feel so proud of what I had accomplished, not just for myself, but most importantly for the people of Hong Kong, made them happy. And that was that was most the important thing. It was very significant to me. And I always gave 100% for the, for the Hong Kong fans. And another game I would say was one of my best is when just early 74, we played Sport in Lisbon. We were a very good team in Portugal. And I scored two goals and we beat them 4-2. And it's great when you can put a smile on the face of the Hong Kong fans. When you're out in front of a big, you know, when you had sort of tens of thousands of people watching, how do you do? You tune that out, or are you buoyed by the crowd? I mean, how do you sort of make you sure that you don't you're notice them? You're just yeah. focusing yourself. Mm. I've I've always I've always thought that as long as I'm hundred percent fit, everything else will take care of itself. You don't get stage fright. You just go on, get into the game, and then everything's a bonus afterwards when the final whistle goes and you've won the game, and then you can salute the fans. But no, you don't. You don't think about it. It's it's hard to explain to you, but it's you just don't think about it. Yeah, you're just completely z- z- you're just in the zone for yeah. your football, waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the ball that's going to come to you, and and hoping the goalkeeper's not going to hold the ball or bounce out his hand. You're ready to just strike and put it in the back of it. Doesn't matter how you score, a goal's a goal. Doesn't matter <laughs> if it's from 25 yards from them two yards. Because I tell you something, the first game we played in Hong Kong, it's funny, it's at Boundary Street and it's... It was Boundary Street. It's a Boundary yeah. Police Ground and as I said, it was a full house. And yeah. But 10 minutes, Cock Amming gets the ball in the right wing and he sends this delightful ball into the penalty area and Walter Gerrard meets it about 12 yards out and he headers the ball towards goal. And I'm following the flight and it looks as if it might go in. But at the same time, it might hit the post or a defender might get it in last minute. So I said, oh, I'll make sure. I'm a yard out. So I head it in the back of the net. It's a goal. And before all my teammates can run and congratulate me, give me a hug and all that, there's a Scottish accent. And I, and I won't tell you what he said, but I'll give you an idea. He said <laughs> to me words like, you little so-and-so, that was going in. That wasn't the words he actually used. And I just said, just making sure, Walter, just making sure. Because that's the way you were trained to do things. Now, some of the the famous Hong Kong Chinese players, are they still around? Yeah, they are. Kok Amings, still about. He went on to become the national coach for Hong Kong. There's a lot of them still about. Sadly, Wu Kok Kong, he died a number of years ago. But there's still quite a few. Chung Chor Wai. And there's some of the old boys for, for Seiko who still still have some games now and again well they still can against the South China All-Stars and that When did you hang out your boots? Oh I had my last game when I was just turned just after 32 going on 33 and it was against Stuttgart the German team and I went out and played for 20 minutes and then I uh, did my lap of honour and got a silver salvo and all that And which team was that? That was Eastern and then I I joined Carlsberg as a PR manager then I got involved in 
football, started the Carlsberg Cup, Chinese New Year soccer tournament, many other things I get involved in. Horse racing? Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and of course I get involved in the, the Carlsberg Tens, rugby and the Sevens and all that. So Hong Kong became your home? Oh, very much so. It was my adopted home. And as I said in the book, I've just written that I had to thank the Hong Kong people for accepting me as as one of their own. Your memoir, When Jesus Came to Hong Kong, was that sitting at home during COVID or was there always a story in you? I think there was always a story in me. It was a case of when I actually did it, and but COVID was a catalyst for it. And I wanted a lot of people to be remembered in the book because mm. there were some great, great characters in Hong Kong in the early 70s and 80s, where not just in football, journalists, jockeys, so many. And I've tried to mention them and tried to let the reader get a picture of what Hong Kong was like in those days. It was and, a different era, wasn't it? Oh, it was totally different. I mean, what are we, nearly 50 years ago? I mean, I remember. It was a great story. It was a guy called Lex Fullerton. He was at the jockey club and he was uh, he was calling the race. It was a 1650 race at, at Happy Valley. And he was calling it uh, the race in English. And there was a bar on the fourth floor at the race course at Happy Valley. And I was sitting talking to him. And all of a sudden, you hear this tingle or something. The race has gone off. The problem was... Lex, he was calling the race, <laughs> and he's sitting next to me. So he's, he's dashed away and got up two flights of stairs or wherever where his booth was. And as I'm coming round the home bend, you just heard a little tingle of a glass. Sorry, sorry, technical failure. <laughs> and he carried on the race as if nothing had happened. <laughs> Tell me what got you into horse <clears throat> racing. Oh, as a young boy, my dad used to take me horse racing. Ah, OK, so that was near Glasgow? or Yeah, there used to be Hamilton Park race course and Air race course. And my dad would have me in his shoulders. And uh, as the horses were going past, if the horse he had backed was at the was at the back, he used to say, couldn't beat Casey's drum, which is an old saying. And I said to myself, if I ever get a horse, I'll call it Casey's drum. And eventually I did. I managed to own two horses in Hong Kong. And the first one I did call Casey's drum. Sadly, my dad died in 74. So he, he never had the opportunity to see the horse actually running. But yeah, and I think it was in my blood. I loved horse racing. I loved football. That was the two sports for me. And when I went to Hong Kong, let's be honest, the two sports in Hong Kong was football and horse racing. So your horses, were they, <clears throat> I mean, of course, with 1978, you get the Chartin race course. So were they up at Chartin or in Happy Valley? Yeah, both were. Both were Chartin. Both were at mm. Chartin, yeah. And the second one was called Glasgow Kiss. And uh, he did win by a head in one of the races. <laughs> no, I mean, but it was interesting, the whole cult culture at that time. And we, we've talked previously about the late Uncle Ray Cadero. He was also, you know, you knew him and he was also a racehorse Oh, owner. he loved the horses. Yeah, I mean, was this a thing to do? To, it or, was. Well, or was it, did you club together? Or No, well, he had a horse called We Know When. It was initially trained with John Moore and that. But no, it's just... It wasn't so expensive in those days mm. as it is nowadays, and the training fees weren't so so high. But and who, you, who trained yours? David Hill. If you had a decent horse and a couple of wins, it was good enough to pay. You didn't really make money out of it when you had your training expenses, but if you came out square and you had a good time, that was half the battle. Did that Jesus name remain all the way through? It did with the local people. Most of them still call me Yeso. The odd one might say Goya for for curry, but normally it's it's still yeso. 
What were some of the perks of being a football celebrity here? I don't know so much perks, but I suppose you were a little bit privileged. You, you get invited to, to certain places. I mean, 1991, we fired the noonday gun, Walter Gerrard and I, after 21 years, thanks, so what, to, thanks to Jardines. Oh, right. And so then afterwards, we went to the noon gun grill at the Excelsior Hotel and had a nice <laughs> lunch. Oh, the lovely Excelsior, that's gone. But um, with a noonday gun, so what's what's involved in firing a gun? It's basically, it was a chap who was firing a gun. We were just standing there looking <laughs> right, good. Okay. Yes. Oh, I tell you, trying to record the noonday gun, because you've only got that one opportunity. So. Well, this was mad, do mad dogs and Englishmen <laughs> yeah. go out in the noonday and Scots, gun. And Scots, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but sometimes, I suppose... Derek Curry there. Derek has written a memoir called When Jesus Came to Hong Kong, the remarkable story of the first European football star in Asia. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong.